Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. We have a number of people we're going to be talking with today covering some significant issues that will have a significant impact on some citizens in Washington State, not all, because some groups are being waived out of the DDE program, and that's people who've attained so much wealth that they exceeded uh, the, the level that you can attain as a uh, disadvantaged business enterprise. Uh, a lot of other things are happening, and uh, we're going to have uh, Congressman Hank Johnson on. He is uh, on the Judiciary Committee. He also is on uh, the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. And uh, our local member of the Congress in the Congressional Black Caucus out of the 10th Congressional District, Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland, is also a member of the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. So Wash Dot, Sound Transit, you guys got an advocate right in your own backyard. But uh, Ralphie Barr is going to talk about some issues we're having uh, after we get Congressman Johnson on. Then we're going to talk to uh, Congressman uh, Bobby Scott. Congressman Scott is chair of the House Education and Labor Committee. And naturally, we've been talking to him about MLK Gandhi and the possibilities of those guys coming up with $2,500 for each one of the students that's enrolled that will be getting a job in the tech industry or either having starting their own uh, own business. So, Eric, has uh, Congressman Johnson joined us yet? Hey, Congressman Hank Johnson, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm glad we don't have to have a free Hank uh, rally nowhere because, you know, two weeks ago today you were arrested uh, for making some good trouble. And I think that's real significant. Uh, you know, the good thing about that is that uh, you and Congressman, let me, first of all, let me let the, uh, people know who you are. I, they know you, what committees you on. But uh, in terms of you're from uh, the Decatur, Georgia area and work closely with John Lewis. So why don't you just give us a little background on for the people that haven't heard you before on Congressman Hank Johnson. Well, thank you, Mr. Wright. Good to be on the show. It's not the first time, and I always appreciate coming back uh, to be on with you. I'm Hank Johnson. I represent Georgia's fourth congressional district. It lies in the eastern suburbs of Atlanta, uh, Stone Mountain, Decatur, uh, and other parts, Rockdale County, uh, Newton County, Gwinnett County, parts of those counties, and uh, and DeKalb County, which is my main county. And I've been the representative now for the last 15 years. So I'm in my eighth term. And, um, and I serve on the Judiciary Committee, as well as the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, and also on the Government Oversight Committee. And uh, that's really very good for an, uh, an accomplished attorney. Now, you know, you mentioned Stone Mountain. I recall back in, I was in Atlanta for some event in the early 70s, and the Klan, they were having a cross-burning ceremony on Stone Mountain. Uh, that's been uh, overtaken by people from the Black community or what? Yes, no question about it. Um, they've elected, uh, they elected their first Black mayor back in uh back in the 90s, Mayor Chuck Burris, and uh, the county is majority, uh, the city is majority uh, black, as is DeKalb County. It's about, DeKalb is probably about 70% black. And so Stone Mountain is right there in the heart of DeKalb County uh, with the Confederate uh, generals on display and that's been a point in controversy over the last uh, few years, but we're working it out. 
Well, let's go. Let's go to uh, DC right now. Uh, I understand. Uh, I don't know if I got this from you or someone else that uh, the sister judge uh, is it Jackson just uh, issued a sixty-day moratorium on evictions. Is that is that accurate? Yes, uh, the chief judge of of the Superior Court of uh, DeKalb County issued a sixty-day moratorium on evictions in DeKalb County. And so um, uh, that came uh, just a day before uh, our president imposed a new uh, eviction moratorium that covers about 90% of the country. And uh, so we were gratified that he did that because the uh, original moratorium expired at the end of the day on July 31st. And that uh, put us in a position where uh, evictions could begin to be processed and uh, could get to the point where, you know, I mean, too many people thrown out of their homes because of their inability to pay rent due to the pandemic. And that taking place at a time when Congress had allocated 46.55 billion dollars for emergency rental assistance. Uh, 25 billion of which came in uh, when Congress passed its omnibus funding bill for the government back in uh, last December, and another 26.5 billion that came in when we passed the American Rescue Plan back on March 12th of this year. So of that 46.5 billion that Congress has allocated, uh, only three billion of that has been spent, has been gotten out the door to uh, help uh, tenants remain in their property. So as this eviction moratorium expired, it gave rise to the questions, okay, where is that money and how is it being allocated and why hasn't more of it been allocated up to this point and what are we going to do henceforth to make sure that tenants and landlords get the money that Congress has already allocated to keep people from being thrown out on the street. Whose responsibility was it for that, that word to get out to the people who need the help, including the landlords? Uh, you know, it seems to me like the local government had a major responsibility to have an all out kind of uh, campaign informing people what the resources that were there. Uh, I mean, where do you, where do you put the blame? Well, you know, I don't, I, I don't think it's uh it's worthwhile to assess blame at this point. I think the recognition is that the money is out there. The counties and the states have slowly ramped up because the money came in. There was no programs that the states or local governments had in place to administer the program. So to actually have to staff up and uh, in the midst of a pandemic when folks are working virtually and uh, then learn all about the program and put everything in place, place to where you can get the money out the door and then notify the people that the money is out there. So it's been a slow process, but I believe across the nation, uh, many places, and I can only speak for my district, but, uh, you know, I just had a uh, meeting today with my state Department of Community Affairs, which is the entity that is dispersing the money 
to the smaller counties because I've got two small counties and two large counties. The two large counties got money directly from the uh, federal government. And so they are charged with administering their own program to get that money out. And then two of my small counties, the state is doing it for them. And so what I found is that the counties have um, varying degrees of proficiency. Getting the money out is still a work in progress. And the two small counties had no connection to the state. The state was getting out the money, but the local folks didn't know about the money and uh, they weren't promoting it to their residents. And so we've making sure we've taken measures to make sure that that is no longer the case. And uh, so I'm confident that in Georgia's fourth district, the money is going to get out. I'm sure you you said it. So uh, I know that, you know, this voter suppression thing is really uh, that, that's uh, something that's there with all of the legislators, uh, legislatures passing these voter suppression laws. Now, uh, at what point does the federal government and do you think that the administration has been tough enough in terms of dealing with this issue? Because I got one more question about uh, the infrastructure. And because, you know, every time they disperse a lot of money, they always have like subcontract opportunities and you're under a big company's foot. And in Washington state, we lost four black contractors on one tunnel project. So uh, our numbers have not grown because of the fact the money never comes directly to us. And once a, a contractor, a large contractor gets the contract, agencies have a tendency of shying away from any enforcement. And in Washington State, we had affirmative action killed by Governor Gary Locke in 1998, Governor's Directive 98-01. I'm sure if Barack Obama knew that back before, he might not have hired him, but on the other hand, uh, we just don't do well when we are under, uh, to be honest with you, under a white man's foot. It doesn't work. There's always a reason to say we didn't do this. We, and our numbers aren't growing. And like I said, in this state has been 23 years. Is there any way that our engineers could break these contracts down so they go directly uh, to African descendants of the United States enslaved? I don't want to speak for any other group because other minority group members might like what they have, other people of color. But I know in the community, the surprise of the people who's been here 400 years, African descendants of the United States enslaved, our business is not growing. They are diminishing. And it's all because of people turned their head against anti-Black racism. Well, I tell you, when uh, when the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964 passed under President Johnson and he started programs of affirmative action, affirmative action meant recognizing that Black firms had been shut out from business opportunities with the federal government and mandating that a certain percentage of that business go to black firms. And then we had challenges uh, to, to affirmative action that were lodged in the courts and they went up to the US Supreme Court, which began to dismantle uh, affirmative action based on race and uh, got to the point where the Supreme Court ruled that uh, it was a denial of equal protection to favor black folks, black businesses uh, doing business with the federal government. So you can't do things based on race. You have to do it on other factors that show that you're a disadvantaged business. So therefore the Congress government- they allowed white female businesses. They set up the 
the and, disadvantage. And, and they've, been, they've been waived out of the program at yeah. Washington State twice. They get over 80% because uh, the white male counterparts is going to hire them every time. Uh, yeah. Four white female firms had 100 trucks. And, uh, and, and the lady sold her business to her ex-husband. It has $300 million worth of work. It's supposed to be a small business. So I'm just saying it's a, a disadvantaged a, business because it was a female who'd been shut out, white females. And so we know we know that game and uh, it's kind of like a shell game. It's very difficult. But bottom line, we need a new Supreme Court that will expand the Supreme Court, sir. Expand it. Well, that's why it's I, not I, it's not it's not limited by the Constitution, is it? Well, no, it's not. And I, I have legislation that I have filed to expand the court, but not for the reasons based uh, uh, on the fact that the court has been packed with right wing conservatives, but based on the. <laughs> that's a good based, reason. Well, you know, that's not the reason that I'm using to uh, to justify the need to expand the court. Uh, but it's no doubt that our court has been captured by big money interest. And um, but our court has not been expanded since 1869. It's been 152 years since we've had an expansion of the Supreme Court. Commerce has exploded. The number of residents of America has exploded. We're now 330 million. Back in 1869, it was probably 30 million. There you go. Not even 30. But, I want to see. Uh, I, I want to see. There's uh, my. Uh, Latino brother uh, Rafael Ibarra, uh, he just submitted a, uh, a question, and I guess he's not on yet. But anyway, he had submitted a question to uh, the State Department of, of uh, Transportation here in Washington State, uh, asking about uh, the rules uh, being changed, and it would be to the detriment of uh, minority firms. So we know that in this state, we've had you know uh, folks waived out of the program, but. You are on the committee that will be looking at, at all this stuff. And uh, you'll have, you and uh, Congresswoman Marilyn Strick will have a lot of say so. And I'm just hoping and appealing to you and I appeal to her, please protect our interests. Because if they say uh, uh, blacks can't participate, you know, that's just, it's really unfortunate. Talking about somebody been here 400 years, died in every war. And every time we got a leg up, we got it broken. I mean, we can look after civil after the Civil War, who got and you have those monuments in your district of those Confederate generals. And we even have a state and a highway, state highway 99 in uh, 1941 was named for Jefferson Davis by the Daughters of the Confederacy in Washington state from the Canadian border to the Oregon border. So we have those vestiges everywhere. But I wanna go back to uh, this whole idea of this voter suppression and what is happening right now. I'm so happy that you and others stood up uh, and actually got arrested to emphasize the point. Okay, and Ralph just joined us. So I want you to hear this brother for one minute. Do you have one minute, sir? Uh, yeah. Okay, R Ralph Ibarra. Uh, Eddie Wright Jr. It is okay. a privilege and a pleasure to be able to call you my brother. Congressman Johnson, a real honor to be able to uh, address you, sir. Well, nice to meet you, Mr. Ibarra. Yeah, your organization is uh, America Diverse Network my organization is Diverse America Network. It's a private consultancy. It's been around 30 years. And uh, I am dedicated to making sure that there is fair and equitable treatment, not just equal and all, particularly in contracting that are funded by 
those public dollars that come from all the diverse communities. And I must tell you, Congressman, we have an extremely regressive tax situation here in Washington state. Uh, I have taken it upon myself to be able to describe it in detail so that people understand that, yes, there is a need for affirmative action. I mean, I'm a supporter of affirmative action as well as other remedies, uh, reparations, et cetera. Uh, but from an economic standpoint, my whole assertion now is that those who pay into the general fund of Washington state, much like to our country, they deserve a fair and equitable share to come back to their communities in the form of public contracting. Uh, and my most immediate concern is uh, essentially uh, backsliding by the largest uh, recipient of federal dollars, which is the Washington State Department of Transportation. They spend uh, close to a billion three, a billion five every year. And their uh, record of actually taking steps to be more equitable, particularly since their state-funded activities and their projects come from the communities here in Washington State, both Black, Hispanic, Latinx, uh, Asian, Pacific Islanders, Native American, etc. cetera. Uh, it's a real, real concern to me when uh, remedies are put forward by state agencies and then they're very quickly rescinded. Well, you know, it is uh, the fight for equity uh, for all people in this country is, is something that's ongoing. In addition to our economic uh, livelihoods, they're also trying to shut us out of this right to vote, which is our most pressing concern now. I mean, we've all out of all of the issues that we have to attend to, this right to vote is the one that. Um, that is just fundamental and at the heart of it, because with that right to vote, we're able to put people in office who then vote uh, in our interests. But some people who we vote for, like U.S. senators, get a chance to uh, uh, approve or uh, affirm or confirm judges to the federal bench and justices to the United States Supreme Court. And uh, our court system has been stuck with, has been stacked and packed with right wing uh, judges and justices. And uh, these right wingers have declared it unconstitutional uh, to discriminate on the basis of race when it comes to contracting. And so it is against the Constitution. That's the final word. The only way we can get around that is, <coughs> is an evolution in the uh, court itself. It's the same way it was when uh, the court declared in, uh, in, Dred in the Dred Scott decision back in uh, 1863, I believe, that the black man had no rights that a white man was uh, bound to respect. And again, in uh, 1896 in Plessy versus Ferguson, where the US Supreme Court declared that uh, separate accommodations for black people was constitutional. And, uh, and it took until 1954 for the court to reverse itself 
and to declare that separate was inherently unequal. And so desegregation became uh, the law of the land. And we've seen uh, ever since then with appointments to the court, the court become more conservative and hostile towards the uh, rights of, uh, of black people and brown people and minorities in this country. And, uh, and once again, uh, we need the court to sh shift back into a posture where uh, our, our right to equity in this country uh, can be addressed. And in my mind, it has to be a, a addressed with affirmative action. That means to uh, a, a effort to catch people up from where they should be based on the denial of their ability to be there in the first place. And so, uh, you know, affirmative action uh, is in my mind, not discriminating against uh, white people is actually uh, adjusting the relationship to where all parties are, uh, have the equity uh, and the opportunity uh, to uh, uplift themselves. So open, open the door and give, give, uh, give, like James Brown said, open the door, I'll get it myself. But if the door is closed, uh, you know, it takes somebody to open it. And, uh, and that is uh, our court system in this country. And so until that time, we're, we're left with devices like the disadvantaged business uh, enterprise program, which they find all kinds of ways of profiting from uh, from that program, edging us out. But I'll tell you, uh, in the recent Invest Act, which is a transportation bill passed out of the uh, the House, uh, I have um, language in that bill that ensures that the difference that there was between Department of Transportation contracts and the size limit for disadvantaged businesses, which was 22 million, was adjusted upwards to the 37 million that is the benchmark in all other federal agencies. So in other words, we were being cut out disadvantaged businesses were being cut out of Department of Transportation projects because those businesses between 22 million and 37 million uh, were cut out of Department of Transportation. So we've adjusted that to ensure that DOT size limit is consistent with the other federal agencies and that will open up more uh, contracting opportunities to disadvantaged businesses, many of which are African-American. Our African-American businesses are getting businesses under the DBE program um, uh, as disadvantaged businesses. Uh, but they share that stage with the, with the uh, women, with uh, veterans, with uh, uh, disabled folks and uh, and others. Uh, well, Congressman Hank, we sure yeah. appreciate your, your input. Uh, and uh, my friend Raphael, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to have you come back. But uh, I want to thank both of you. And Congressman, thank you for your fight. 
And Ralph, you and I have to sit down with Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland, who's also on the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee. As a matter of fact, I have sent her a copy of your concerns with WashDOT and changing the rules. So thank you both very much. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you so much. God bless you, Congressman. My brother, Eddie, God bless you. Okay. We'll be back together, Ralph. Thanks. You bet. Okay. Uh, Eric, why don't we go ahead and take a break and put uh, uh, Congressman Scott through. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail Station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. No other station delivers this much variety. Alternative Talk 1150. Uh, my next guest is uh, Congressman Bobby Scott from Virginia, former NAACP branch president of Newport News, Virginia. Uh, hooked up with Jesse Weinberry when they were in the state. Was it the, the black uh, NBC Leo? In, no, NBC FL, uh, National Black Caucus State Legislators. Uh, yeah. Leo is a local elected official. Local, okay, got you. Okay. So, uh, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, Congressman Scott is uh, another one of uh, our members of the Congressional Black Caucus, is also the chair of the committee, and he's chair of the House Education and Labor Committee. And uh, uh, he's been doing some fantastic work. So, uh, we just talked to Congressman Hank Johnson about. Uh, I guess that moratorium I misread. I thought it was a national thing. I guess it's just for uh, one uh, county in uh, in Georgia. Has there been a national moratorium extended by the president, Congressman well, Scott? He, ex- he extended the moratorium and tightened it up a little bit so that you had to have an area of high transmission. But uh, with the Delta variant going on, most counties, I think about 90% of the country, would qualify as a high transmission uh, jurisdiction. Uh, the problem is that um, a couple of weeks ago, the Supreme Court um, raised serious questions as to whether the uh, authority is there 
Um, so this is going to be a lawsuit, and we don't know how it's going to come out. But in the meanwhile, it gives us a little time while they're litigating it. It gives us a, a little opportunity to get the money out of the state capitals. We had, we had tens of billions of dollars in rent relief, which hadn't left the state capitals. That ought to be in the landlord's hands so that the tenants' rent can be paid. Um, uh, so uh, we, we're making a push now in Virginia. I think we got about two-thirds of the money out. But a lot of the states haven't gotten, haven't done even 10%. Mm. So, well, that, that, so that's extended, not helpful. He extended it a little bit, but um, uh, people shouldn't um, have a lot of um, um, confidence that it's going to get that it's going to stick. They ought to, you know, get like get the rent lined up and and do what they can and uh, apply for the money in the state and uh, get that underway. I tell you, not one deadline that is coming up. Uh, we extended the deadline for um, for Obamacare, um, and that's coming up in a few days. Um, that we we made the um, uh, Obamacare more affordable. We expanded the number of people who who could qualify. Um, uh, so um, people need to take advantage of it. We we eliminated what what we call the cliff at four times poverty for a family of four. It's about a hundred thousand dollars, but uh, for for a single person, it's only about fifty thousand dollars. So a lot of people weren't getting any help at all. Uh, now it. it it caps out at about eight and a half percent of your total income. Uh, at some point, your income is going to eight and a half percent is going to cover the sticker price. But uh, people at um, right over the uh, right over the threshold could be saving thousands of dollars a year, hundreds of dollars a month on 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 health care, uh, which would make it a lot more affordable than uh, people think it is. And you only have a few more days, about a week. Uh, to sign up, healthcare.gov, healthcare.gov. Uh, if you go on that, uh, you, you'll get you'll get the uh, information. So we need to get that word out. Uh, and then there's a, a couple of other issues like this. Uh, uh, right now, all of these uh, state laws, uh, gerrymandering, uh, voter suppression. Uh, what do you, you advise people to do? And you've been an NAACP leader. What would you advise uh, the everyday citizen to do, whether they live in one of the states or not, but it's, it's being tried everywhere because we got redistricting going on in the city of Seattle, and Martin Luther King Jr. County that I can't agree with, uh, like uh, uh, putting an uh, entire congressional district in, in the city of Seattle and then changing some legislative districts that would eliminate a significant number of people of color out of a uh, our education chair's district. So, but I was just wondering, what would your advice be uh, for folks right now? Well, this is the first redistricting that has taken place without the full protection of the Voting Rights Act since the Voting Rights Act started in 1965. Uh, so we, we regrettably expect some shenanigans. Um, save up the money and so you can file the lawsuits. The problem is that without free clearance, uh, these uh, uh, illegal redistricting plans will go into effect until the court stops it. And sometimes the court won't stop it for two, three, five, as many as six or eight years. You can go through a whole decade of redistricting before they, um, uh, before they stop it, which means that um, there's not much deterrent from, uh, from mischief. The main thing people can do is that whatever happens, 
make sure you vote at every opportunity. Uh, there are people in this country who are dedicated to voter suppression, just like Democrats are dedicated to GOTV, get out the vote. Well, they have figured out that um, we figured out the more people vote, the better it is for Democrats. Well, there are a lot of people on the other side that have figured out that the fewer people vote, particularly minorities, the better off it is for them. And they have they will pass any law. They will appoint any judge who will rule their way. Um, they'll pass any regulation that they can to make it more difficult uh, for some people to vote. And the uh, response has got to be that if that's the way they're going to they're play, then we're just going to come out and vote uh, stronger than we would have before and to make sure that those kind of people don't get to serve in public office. Um, it, it, it's not fair, but the, the only response we have, and, and so in Georgia, it means electing Stacey Abrams. Um, it, they're they're going to be making it more difficult, but um, uh, you just got to get out and vote. Um, it, 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 you know, when we, when we vote, we win. I mean, we saw we elected two Democratic senators from Georgia, and let me tell you, it wouldn't have been a rescue plan, wouldn't have been any $1,400 checks, wouldn't have been any child tax credits, wouldn't have been any massive money for education if it hadn't been for those two senators from, uh, from Georgia. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, the only thing we can do is just make sure we punish uh, anybody that wants to restrict our, our right to vote. And so when they cut, cut out uh, Sunday voting, making it more inconvenient for us to vote, that means when Tuesday comes, we just got to not only vote, but bring our friends with us uh, to make them pay for what they're doing. Yeah. Congressman Scott, I want to just quickly talk about your committee, the House Educational Labor Committee. Could you give our listening audience, uh, uh, as chair of the committee, are you responsible? Does your, does your uh, committee have uh, 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 authority to issue revenue for programs? I guess they go, go to states and then to the people in the states. How does that process work? Well, one of the things that we need to do is we, we uh, you know, everybody's whining about what we haven't done without noticing what we have done. Usually in a year, we'll send out about $16 billion a year in uh, Title I K-12 through education money. In the rescue plan, we sent out over $120 billion, not $16 billion, $120 billion, and sent it out according to the Title I formula, which meant the low-income areas uh, got um, uh, the most money. The high-income areas didn't get nearly as much as, uh, as they would have wanted to. The money went where it was needed. Um, and uh, some of these uh, school districts, very low-income districts, uh, got a phenomenal amount of money. Uh, Detroit, for example, uh, because of white flight, uh, is, is, has... Uh, Virtually all of the students, the high percentage of the students are low income. They got almost almost a billion dollars in, um, in, in, in in new money. And this is money they could not have expected um, um, because they didn't know two senators were coming out of, two Democrats were coming out of Georgia. They didn't know Joe Biden was going to get elected when, um, uh, when they, when they uh, passed their budget. And so this is money that they can use to open the schools safely, keep the schools open safely, and then use the money to uh, make up for lost learning time that was uh, during the pandemic. 
uh, they ought to be attacking the achievement gaps. And with that kind of money, they can, in, in, in the areas of need, they can reduce the class size. They can stick an assistant teacher in those classrooms. They can have uh, robust uh, summer programs. They can um, have, uh, I know in, in, in one city, in, in my city neighboring my, my hometown in, in Hampton, Virginia, they're having Saturday makeup sessions for, for students. Um, you can increase the school year. Um, you got to do things like uh, invest in ventilation. The Centers for Disease Control has identified proper ventilation uh, for um, uh, as an essential element of school safety. And the average school in America is 40 years old, so you know you got problems all over the country in proper ventilation. Uh, transportation, if you're going to have fewer students on the school bus, you got to have more trips, so that's going to cost some money. But you've got money to do just about everything you need to do. Uh, and the Seattle NAACP ought to be, uh, the education committee, ought to be asking the school board, what is your plan for the money coming out of the American Rescue Plan? Um, uh, and, 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 and what are you doing to eliminate, not just reduce, to eliminate the achievement gap? There's no, we shouldn't be looking at, 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 at reduce the achievement gap. With this kind of money they've gotten, uh, we ought to be eliminating the achievement gap and the um, uh, NAACP uh, Education Committee and the other education groups and civic groups ought to be asking the um, uh, uh, public school system, what is your plan for this money, and what can we expect after you've spent it in terms of, um, of, of safely opening the schools and addressing achievement gaps? Well, I'll tell you one thing, the sister that's the chair of the state edu uh, state uh, chapters, educator, Rita Green, has been doing an outstanding job. And our local president, the Seattle branch president, Carolyn Riley Payne, and her group, Monica T.L. Lewis, and uh, uh, Claude Burfick, uh, Erica Pickens, I'm going to get in trouble because uh, 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 I'm going to slip around here and forget Daryl Powell or somebody and get in trouble. But anyway, they're doing, they're doing a great job. But also... A former well, state representative. Sure, we got to make sure that the school board all over the state of Washington know that we are looking um, and that we are interested in what they are doing with the American Rescue Plan Act money to eliminate the achievement, to open the school safely, and to eliminate the achievement gap. Um, if, if they don't think people, it's just human nature, if they don't think people are watching, this would spend the money on whatever they want to spend it on. But uh, if they know people are watching and they're going to be held accountable, then uh, then they will put together a plan. And if they don't have a plan yet, insist on uh, putting a plan together for the American uh, Rescue Plan Act money to eliminate the achievement gap and um, and, and and stay on them. Uh, we do have we do have new leadership with the Seattle Public School District. And the acting superintendent is Dr. Brent Jones, uh, who was forced out of the district by the former superintendent, along with the other black men who were there in leadership positions. But anyway, so he came back and he is doing a good job. And I'm uh, sure he that he do would a good be job, but he'd, he'd do a little better job if um, if the NAACP uh, lights the fire. Uh, don't, oh, don't let don't let don't let these people uh, uh, slow walk the thing. Let them know that you are aware that a plan is needed, that massive amounts of money are coming. And ask him how much money he's, he's going to come. It, it, it's mm -hmm. got to be tens of, um, tens of millions, probably 
probably over $100 million in Seattle. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you one know, thing. I mean, I'm talking about real money. So, so I know Baltimore yeah. got about $400 million. Little city in Newport News, um, uh, you know, is in the in the $60 million range, really less than 200,000 people. So, I mean, right. I'm, I'm sure, I haven't looked up Seattle, but um, I'm sure, uh, ask them, first of all, how much they got, and then what are they doing with it? Um, and he should be um, he should be bragging to the community about what's going to get done with that money. And that, I tell you that that's a, that's a good thing. And believe me, we do uh, hold everyone accountable, including the elected school board members, uh, because he was having a problem with one or two of them who were blockers. But now I think with uh, him having the majority of the board, I think it'll be smooth sailing. So. Uh, uh, there's a, a young young attorney. I know you have worked with Jesse Weinberry before. There's a young attorney by the name of Kamara Hawkins. Uh, she's an attorney out of uh, the Federal Way area. And, you know, right now in Washington State, we're still trying to restore affirmative action after 23 years without it. And uh, so uh, it seems like every time we get close, but we've been having some serious problems. Like, you know, we've been having... Uh, the Proud Boys, I call the two guys that have been opposed to affirmative action the Proud Boys because uh, the results are the same of the activities they're engaged in. But they were able to uh, get hired by a, a number of uh, uh, Chinese immigrants from uh, from uh, Hong Kong. And uh, uh, and they spoke out. They made derogatory remarks about uh, African-Americans and Latinos. And then I also understand, I guess, part of the same group that filed a suit against Yale and Harvard that was thrown out. And I was just kind of curious because half of the folks needed interpreters. And uh, but I was set straight. They said, if you're a taxpayer, uh, you can go ahead and participate in the process. Uh, I just want you to meet this dynamic young attorney, Kamara Hawkins, uh, who is working with Jesse Jackson for Washington State Equity. Now, Kamara, are you on the line? I am here. Thank you so much for having me. And good afternoon, Congressman Scott. It's been a pleasure well, to listen afternoon. to you. Good afternoon. And well, I am just hold, so, these, I, hold these people accountable. Make sure they have a plan, an education plan, each and every school district that you got uh, that you're in contact with. Find out what their plan is. And just the fact that you ask um, will mean that they will tighten up and uh, do the right thing. Well, I just wanted to let you know that Attorney Kamara uh, uh, Hawkins is working with Jesse Weinberry for Equity Now to restore affirmative action. So I want to make sure because uh, Attorney Hawkins, uh, uh, Congressman Scott and Jesse Weinberry had worked together when they were both uh, state elected officials years ago. So I just thought it would be nice for him to know that Jesse's tentacles are still out here and he's still doing some positive things. He is out here doing the work, that is sure. And um, I am just so grateful to, for him, for his um, leadership on this. And he's helping us get fired up and excited about bringing affirmative action back to Washington state. And let me tell you something, um, Eddie and Congressman Scott, what your discussion was just touching on, uh, the American Rescue Plan. We've got $10 billion coming to Washington state. And part of why I am here today um, as an attorney, a woman of color well, that's wait, been wait, practicing. How much, how, much, how much did Seattle get? We don't know yet. But what I do know is that however money the city is getting, it's being um, implemented and handed out under what I believe is 
a racist plan, a racist policy that has been in place since 1998. That is the Governor's Directive 9801, and is it is Washington's jelly bean test. You know what I mean when I say that? Um, vaguely, but if you got the school board, elected school board, uh, you shouldn't um, you shouldn't let them get away with uh, stuff like that. Oh, we're not going to let them get away with anything. Mm. Um, so I can explain a little bit about what I'm talking about. Um, back in 1998, the voters of Washington State passed Initiative 200, which was an attack on affirmative action in Washington, but it did not ban it. All it did was say that government agencies are not able to elevate lesser qualified minorities over more qualified individuals um, for spots in education, um, in our higher learning institutions, in government employment, and in contracting. Um, what governor's directive did was give direction to these government agencies to go much farther than initiative 200 was ever supposed to go to say race ethnicity gender the things that create diversity in these institutions cannot be considered at all and we i just learned about this this year so for the last nearly 25, uh, nearly a quarter of a, of a century, 25 years, 23, we, 23 years, we have been under the, the guise of this rule, this shadow rule that has been implemented, that has been detrimental and has decimated our numbers in public education, our ability to get access to employment. Um, with within government agencies and to contract with government agencies. And that's what Washington Equity Now is about. And the reason why this is so important, important Congressman Scott and Eddie, and to all of your listeners, is that under this jelly bean test of a rule, which is being implemented at a higher level, than which is overbearing the law actually, is that it is going to result in the money that the state gets with the American Rescue Plan being divided up and issued in a unjust, inequitable way. We have got to stop this. Okay. Um, with the stroke- Attorney Hawkins, let me, let me do one thing. Cause uh, yes, sir. The, the folks from uh, the Filipino community, uh, you might not know it, but uh, uh, Congressman Bobby Scott, Robert Cortez Scott is the only person of Filipino ancestry to ever serve in the U.S. Congress. And because of that, Velma Valoria and the Filipino community uh, of Seattle Incorporated want me to let you know that there's an application for affordable senior housing at the Filipino Community Village at 5727 37th Avenue South in Seattle. So I want to let you let folks know. And Bobby Scott, they want to let you know what was happening and want to know when you're coming back here. So uh, you can proceed, attorney. I just have to get oh, thank that. Thank you. I'm sorry. I, I hope I didn't horn in too much um, on Congressman, Congressman Scott's time, but I'm just so excited about this work because I believe that we can change the course of Washington State. 
um, that we can get our children back in the institution of higher institutions of higher learning uh, within Washington, that we can get back some of the nearly $4 billion that minority and women-owned businesses have lost over the past 23 years based on this uh, jelly bean test of um, Governor's Directive 9801 that has been implemented in Washington. Um, for, for those of your listeners who might not know what I'm talking about, I keep equating 9801 to a jelly bean test. Well, after the 15th Amendment was passed, which gave Black folks the right to vote um, nationwide, um, what the some of the Southern states decided to do were to put in rules to change the playing field once again, to suppress our ability to vote and to have our voice be heard in the voter boxes by doing things like jelly bean tests, where you had to guess how many jelly beans were in the jar before you were handed that ballot that you could um, hand in and get counted. And guess what? When it came to folks of color, you never got it right and you weren't able to count the jelly beans. That's what we're dealing here with, with 9801. They have changed the rules on us and it has resulted in a decimation of our representation, a decimation of diversity throughout the state of Washington. We are all suffering with, from this and we don't even know it. Initiative 200 has never been properly implemented because of how Governor's Directive 9801 has told the government to interpret Initiative 200, which is now the law of, the, law of Washington state. It is time to rescind, to strike down, to eliminate this jelly bean test in Washington state. And Governor Inslee can do this, ladies and gentlemen, to everyone who is listening with the stroke of his pen. How can he do that, you might ask? By signing a executive order saying that as of immediately, right now, from the time I put my signature on this on this order, Governor's Directive 9801 is stricken down and the state of Washington is going to implement affirmative diversity policies that strengthen diversity, that strengthen equality, that strengthen diversity throughout the state of Washington in all areas, including education, including employment, and including enterprise, which is contracting. Congressman, uh, Congressman you know, Scott, there's a, there's, there's, uh, we need to um, uh, get in touch because if any federal money is involved, I think we can get the Office of Federal OFCCP, Office of Federal Contract Compliance Program, uh, because that program uh, requires, as a condition of getting a federal contract, an affirmative action plan. We would love that. In, say again. I would love that. Uh, good. So, um, uh, Eddie, we're going we're gonna to follow up after the call. I'm, like I said, I'm in the car, so I can't get the information. We'll have somebody to come follow up and get a contact. And, uh, no, no, okay. Follow up and see what we can do with the Department of Labor. Okay, what I'll do is I'll send you, I'll send you Attorney uh, Hawkins' uh, contact information as well. Okay, sounds good. We'll follow through. Hey, uh, Congressman Bobby Scott, thank you so much today, and you will be hearing about MLK Gandhi about the time you have your second meeting this afternoon. Sounds good. 
a chance to train some of our people in digital technology. We got the experts well, we gotta, on the inside. We got, we're, we're trying to get we're trying to get massive uh, job training money, but you know, we haven't gotten it all all year. It's the last thing. Uh, but if, if people are gonna, we're gonna have to create all these jobs. We got to create uh, training for people to be able to do the jobs. We need uh, child care. Uh, so a lot of things in our jurisdiction we're trying to get done under the bill: the uh, the uh, child care and early childhood education. Uh, and stipends. People got to survive while they get trained. Training. That's right. School okay, nutrition. Well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff we're trying to get done, and I don't think we're going to have enough money to do everything. Free community college. Uh, so um, we're going to do everything we can, but job training is a very high priority. Okay, and we got we got an insight into the tech industry. So, and those are middle class, upper middle class jobs after 20 weeks of training. Sounds good to me. Okay, sir. Thank you very much. And uh, we're going to continue with Attorney Hawkins. Let, uh, she's going to now let you know how you can get involved in the struggle to bring affirmative action and equality and inclusion back to Washington State. So, uh, Attorney Hawkins, go right ahead and inform our listeners on how they can get engaged. Well, Eddie, I want to thank you so much for letting us uh, participate on your platform today. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things you can do. First of all, talk to your friends, talk to your family, go back to your community organizations, your church, your your churches, um, and let them know about Executive Directive 9801. Um, you can go to the Washington Equity Now website. Um, that's waequitynow.com. And you can learn all about the Equity Now fight. Um, you can see a list of the organizations that have endorsed and support our movement. And I'm telling you, I do not exaggerate when I say this. It, it the, that list is growing every single day. Okay. Um, so uh, go uh, ahead. And we're at, we're at, we're out of time for today, but believe me, uh, this is an important fight. We will have you back on. And anyone else you refer to come on is carrying the same message. So thank you very much for your time today. We certainly appreciate you. Thank you so much. Don't forget to donate, WashingtonEquityNow.com. Thank you, everybody. All right. Okay. All right. I want to let everybody know that uh, Urban Forum Northwest is supported by Sound Transit, and that would be uh, the uh, Labor Office with Leslie Jones, Civil Rights Office with John T. Robinson, the City of Seattle Purchase and Construction Services Office with Liz Alzier, Jesse Mark, Carol Wong, uh, and Mike Beltran is down there. The Port of Seattle with me and Rice Concourse Concession with Dave Fukuhara. And the SeaTac Bar Group has the two Desert Storm veterans, Jerry Whitsett and Rod O'Neill, and they are on Concourse A. And also Stephanie Ogle is responsible for maintaining the website at urbanformnw.com for archive programs and other interesting news. Thanks so much, Eric. And we'll be talking to folks later. <laughs>